Welcome to The Bill Walton Show, featuring conversations with leaders, entrepreneurs, artists and thinkers. Fresh perspectives on money, culture, politics and human flourishing. Interesting people, interesting things. Welcome to The Bill Walton Show. I'm Bill Walton. In the United States District Court for the Eastern District of Virginia, a civil action, Professor Todd Zawicki, plaintiff, versus defendants Gregory Washington in his official capacity as president of George Mason University and all the individuals of the George Mason University Board of Rectors in their official capacity. So what's at stake? On June 28, 2021, George Mason University announced a reopening policy related to the COVID-19 for the fall 2021 semester. The policy requires all unvaccinated and staff members, including those who can demonstrate natural immunity from prior COVID-19 infections, to wear masks on campus, physically distance, and undergo frequent COVID-19 testing. Professor Zawicki respectfully believes the policy violates both its constitutional and federal statutory rights. Hence the lawsuit. Todd. Welcome back, my warrior friend. It's good to see you. <laughs> Thanks, uh, Bill. Todd Zwicky, I've introduced him before on this show. He's a GM, GMU Foundation Professor of Law, mouthful, GMU Foundation Professor of Law at the Antonian, Anton, Antonin Scalia Law School. He's with, been with GM, GMU over over 20 years, except for occasional service as a visiting professor at other law schools and high-level service in the U.S. government. He's one of the most law schools, most frequently cited and influential scholars, and has been serving the community and the university uh, his entire time there. Uh, representing Todd in the case is uh, Janine Yunez, litigation counsel for the New, New Civil Liberties Alliance, a nonprofit, nonpartisan civil rights group founded to protect our constitutional freedoms from violations by the administrative state. She's a graduate of NYU Law School and Cornell University. Todd, Janine, <clears throat> thrilled you guys are here, and I'm glad you're I'm glad you're doing what you're doing. But Todd, you're you're suing your employer. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, now, Bill. You know that's tell us tell, tell us what led you to that. Uh, well, I I didn't want to sue my employer, Bill, but um, uh, and in fact, after I first reach out to the NCLA, we contacted George Mason. Um, we sent them a long letter explaining um, this, this issue. We attached medical affidavits, and they didn't listen. And um, instead of responding to our letter, um, they uh, basically, the next day, they rushed out this policy. Um, and um, sometime after that, they deigned to actually respond to us. Um, and in the letter, what we did was we basically provided the proof. Um, and, and let me make clear, in this case, we're not questioning in this case whether or not George Mason um, or any university has the right to um, or the power to take reasonable precautions against what they consider to be necessary to prevent um, spread of infectious disease, in this case at least. But what we're saying is if you're going to do that, it has to make sense. And it has to be consistent with the Constitution. So the letter we sent them um, said that I have natural immunity. I can prove it 
um, through antibodies uh, tests that um, my immunologist um, uh, filed an affidavit um, where he says that uh, my immunity level is, uh, antibodies level is comparable to somebody who's been vaccinated. And then we um, filed an affidavit with two very leading and notable scholars who I'm sure you, you know of, Bill, uh, Jay Bhattacharya from Stanford Medical yeah. School and the great Martin Kuldor from uh, for Harvard Medical School. They were School. both doing the Barrington Statement, and right? They, they, great they, they, Barrington they, yeah. Exactly. And they provided an affidavit in support that provided all the evidence that shows that um, natural immunity is at least as protective um, as uh, a vaccination um, and, um, and more protective than some of the less effective uh, uh, vaccines, um, such as the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. And what really turned my head, Bill, and really kind of made me kind of drop my jaw was the George Mason policy didn't just provide, um, you know, protection for the normal vaccines, right, the ones that were had emergency approval from the FDA. The George Mason policy uh, approved of any vaccine that was approved by the World Health Organization. So they included vaccines like the Chinese vaccines, like Sinovac and Sinopharm, um, but not natural immunity is how, uh, is how far this obsession with uh, uh, vaccination rather than looking at actual levels of immunity and what the protection is. Janine, didn't the, didn't the university lawyer tell you something about natural immunity that what? That um, in their opinion, natural immunity doesn't exist. That's their position. <laughs> That's their position, yeah, and they're no, sticking yeah, to it. Yeah, and they're sticking. So, to how it. do these people arrive at something like declaring that natural immunity, which has been part of the accepted wisdom about about viruses for you know well over almost a century? I have no idea, and it's not only um, you know accepted for well over a century, generally speaking, but it's established for this virus, uh, as Bhattacharya and Kuldorp established. We actually um, estimate the length of vaccine immunity based on what we know about natural immunity. So there's simply no question that, uh, that um, natural immunity provides robust and durable protection. And actually, Professor Zwicky didn't, this wasn't, you know, he didn't just know he had COVID and suspect that he had the antibodies. He has, he has gotten repeated antibody tests that established as recently as, I think, June that uh, he has extremely high levels of antibodies. Well, well, didn't we have this notion that there was herd immunity and then when we reached some number, I think Fauci even talked yeah. about this, we reached to some number, then we could just relax and, yeah. and live our lives. That somehow that notion of herd immunity seems to have dropped out of the public uh, discourse. Yeah, the yeah. contribution to that, if at some point they officially changed the definition. The definition said via vaccine, which obviously now we're learning because of all these breakthrough infections, we can't actually vaccinate ourselves to herd, to herd immunity. But they said through vaccination or natural uh, immunity. And at some point, they, they dropped that out. And one of the things that's so bizarre about this build is you could think about a statement like there is no natural immunity. It's like, how do they think the vaccines work? Yeah. I mean, it's basically the way to think about this, Bill, is, is it's like what the vaccines are designed to do is mimic the natural immune system, yeah. right? They try to generate a response that is like what the natural immune system is. Do you know how they determined whether or not the vaccines worked originally? They drew blood from people like me, and then they saw whether or not it neutralized um, the, the virus uh, they, uh, the same way that the vaccine neutralized the virus like my blood did. My blood was the answer key <laughs> for which they were trying to see whether or not the virus, uh, the vaccine could replicate it. And now they're denying that there's any such thing as natural immunity or that's robust or it's durable or anything else. It's so crazy. let's solve to this answer. And what you had was the answer. 
Exactly. When did you get COVID? So I was one of the unlucky uh, winners of the COVID lottery. I first got it in March 2020. Yeah. Um, at the time, I was not able to get uh, uh, get a test because they were so scarce. But when it came back time to teach last fall, not uh, not this year, but last fall uh, in uh, 2020, on July 2020, I thought I wanted to volunteer to teach in person uh, because I felt I owed it to my students to teach in person if I could. Um, you know, while a lot of the other, you know, I'm in my 50s, Bill, right? I could have easily taken a pass and taught virtually, but I felt like I owed it to my, my students. While a lot of my younger colleagues around the university went off to their vacation homes and, and whatnot. But what I thought was, I want to make sure I'm safe and that the students are safe. I believe in natural immunity. I got my first antibodies test in July 2020. Um, the point is, Bill, I put my money where my mouth is, right? Which is early on, the science was compelling. Natural immunity is real. Natural immunity is powerful. And so I got an antibodies test when I was convinced that I was safe. I, even though I was in my 50s, um, volunteered to teach in person. And, that, and I taught all last year in person, three sections of first year contracts. And, um, and now it's just absurd at this point to think that it doesn't work. So how did, tell me about your, your organization. How did you guys get to be representing Todd in this case? So uh, my organization called the New Civil Liberties Alliance has been doing a lot of uh, COVID-related lit litigation against some of the restrictions. Um, so I joined them in April uh, for that reason, because I was very interested in fighting what I saw as uh, massive government overreach in these areas. Um, and a, a mutual acquaintance, Phil Magnus, actually introduced us. Yeah, we've uh, had Phil, a, Phil's yeah. been on yeah. talking, <laughs> talking about, well, actually, we talked about 1619 last time. We uh, talked about COVID with him. Yeah, he, I knew ago. him from AIER, and he connected us. Uh, yeah. I think he knew I was interested in doing vaccine mandate cases. So, so. you started out on the left. You yeah. Were, you, were a pub, you were a public defender. Yes, in New York City, which is about as far left as it goes. <laughs> <laughs> but then you, but, you know, the, the civil liberties issue that affect individuals, you came to see affects, I mean, it's affecting, you know. Yeah. So not I, just indigent criminals, but the, all of us. Exactly. So I had always sort of parted ways uh, when it came to First Amendment issues. For instance, a lot of the campus speech stuff and a lot of the cancel culture, culture stuff I had disagreed with my peers about. But when COVID hit and I saw, you know, the gov government telling people they can't leave their homes, they can't run their businesses, they can't send their kids to school. And the left thought that was, this was just fine. Everyone around me thought there's no problem with this. And I was like, this is crazy. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. these are, and it's also indefinite. We're not talking about two weeks here. You know, this is going going on and on. And I mean, people want to bring it back on the left. Now they're all, all talking about well, staying you, home. <laughs> Naomi Wolf also, yeah. obviously on the left, she's yeah. now making common cause on this yeah. one. Yeah, um, she's a good friend. I actually just had dinner with her last night. So we've, we've. Uh... So, 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 yeah, I mean, you <laughs> yeah. probably have a lot to talk about. But... So, where, where are we with the case? They, you, I guess they announced this policy last month. And... Um, since that time, um, uh, last, uh, just recently, they brought back <clears throat> new, they brought back restrictions on the vaccinated people, right? So, as these vaccine breakthrough uh, cases are multiplying around the country, what we're seeing is that they originally created two pretty clear the classes. vaccinated or the unvaccinated. They, they brought back re new restrictions on the vaccinated. vaccinated. So originally they had Wait, because are we of go the Delta are we going variant. in the wrong direction? Going yeah. in the wrong direction. Well, the Delta that's variant. Right. The Delta variant. <laughs> well, the Delta variant. That's, right. that's right. And so originally, uh, as you described at the outset, they put a lot of burdens on me that they didn't put on people who could prove that they were vaccinated. Um, and um, I thought those burdens were 
not only stupid, but that they were interfering with my ability to do my job and teach my students. Um, they were designed to stigmatize me by making me wear a mask when vaccinated people didn't. They, I was going to have difficulty teaching my students as well as faculty members who uh, were more vaccinated and have to wear a mask. And so that's how that was what um, uh, bothered me. Uh, and that's what I thought it was uh, a violation of my constitutional rights to disadvantage me on this completely arbitrary ground to interfere with my ability to serve my students um, and um, and to stigmatize me and to basically hold, um, you know, potential adverse uh, career consequences uh, over me as a result of not being willing to um, to take the vaccine, not being willing to be forced into taking the vaccine. And so I felt like they were trying to coerce me um, into uh, to doing that. And I've talked to my colleagues and my colleagues who did, a lot of them didn't want to take the vaccine, including at least one who had natural immunity. He ended up doing it anyway, simply because um, he he was concerned about the consequences if he if he didn't. So I was willing to fight it. So you're in the well, uh, you're watching the Bill Walton show, and I'm here with Todd Zwicky and Janine Yunus. Uh, we're talking about his lawsuit against his employer, the George Mason University, and their mandates about vaccines and, and the restrictions on both the uh, vaccinated and unvaccinated, and 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 those who've had it, uh, had the had the vac had the disease. Uh, I'm wandering into uncharted territory for me. You filed in the United States District Court of the Eastern District of Virginia. Why, why did you pick that? Uh, why did you pick that court? Well, that's the federal court where GMU is located. So that was the venue. Um, the state claims we're raising are mostly federal claims, not state claims, or they are exclusively federal claims. So uh, federal court made the most sense. Okay. And how, where does it stand now? They've, they've got the, what, what happens with this? Well, so GMU um, granted Professor Zwicky's request for a medical exemption, not on the basis of his natural immunity. They refused to recognize that as a legitimate basis, but for a different reason, um, a sort of personal uh, medical reason. So that changed the landscape because now he's not subject to disciplinary action. And because um, he's no longer sort of given this differential treatment with the masks, a lot of the issues went away Where do with we the get... granting of the exemption. Uh, and you were involved with uh, a... I E R. I think you were involved yeah. with the great the Great Barrington statement. Yeah, and that declaration. We, declaration. Yeah. and it was some highly credible yeah. scientists and and medical uh, professionals that came out on what the risks were and, and weren't. And I think we concluded they concluded that if unless you were seventy or older, or had some comorbidity, or were like diabetes or or were obese, uh, that your risk of dying was something like 99 risk of survive your chances yeah. of surviving were 99 point under 70 it's nine 99.95 nine survival rate um and i think what the great barrington declaration does which so many people like anthony fauci and you know leanna wen and all of these other people don't do is acknowledge the the massive collateral consequences of this uh these draconian approaches to COVID 19 you know on mental health on people's education on I mean, socializing is important to people. We need to be able to hang out with each other, and um, that's part of being a human. Well, there's the whole list of yeah. costs. I yeah, mean, there's exactly. There's the pro, which presumably was they presume, well, we're going to keep people safe from the virus, yeah. but the cons are enormous. The cons are enormous. Right. And well, they don't even work because, you know, people still have, it just sort of shifts the burden. The Zoom class can stay at home, but the essential workers are still out getting COVID. That's why they all got a lot of, they got, a lot of people who worked in kitchens and delivery people got COVID. 
And that's what has been amazing to me, Bill, which is ever since this went big and I published my article in the Wall Street Journal, um, I've done a lot of uh, other interviews um, um, and, the, and the like. And I have been hearing from people literally all over the world, um, but especially the stories from people around the country, right? Um, the, this, one, this one cook, uh, a Chilean immigrant cook who works in New York City, who got COVID this spring, and now his boss is going to fire him if he doesn't get the vaccine mandate, even though he's fully protected by natural immunity. You start going through the list of nurses. It's heartbreaking. The number of doctors I've heard from, Bill, is astounding. The number of doctors who say, Every, I've had COVID. I got COVID treating people who had COVID. And now the bureaucrats, the HR bureaucrats who run my corporate medical center, the MBAs and the lawyers who really run this place are telling me I've got to get an unnecessary vaccine that exposes me to, uh, to risk, right? It's all of this stuff is this one-size-fits-all policies. Yeah. My, my, my immunologist, whom I nurture him, he refers to it as algorithmic medicine is what the CDC has been pumping out. You run up, you, you like gin up some, you know, idiotic studies and then you provide the same advice to to everybody, regardless of their medical condition, regardless of how recently they've had uh, COVID. Um, here, and this is what uh, Dr. Norchasm said to me, Bill. This is, I mean, this is this is common sense, right? Which is, you do not vaccinate somebody who concurrently or recently has had a disease. I had shingles of a virus. I had shingles this spring. A terrible case of uh, of shingles. Um, if you recall, we had the we had the uh, based on the del- symptoms, del- shingles are a lot worse than uh, that's than right. COVID. Of course, you can. If you recall, we had the delay the last time I was going to visit with you because I had this terrible case of yeah. uh, of shingles, and I got done with it, and I said to my doctor, "Should I get the singles vaccine?" And he basically looked at me like, "How could somebody as stupid as you be a law professor?" <laughs> and he's looking well, it's a at different me. Field, and, you know. Yeah, and he says, "Well, no, you don't vaccinate somebody right after they've had a disease yeah. because you risk hyperinflaming the immune system." He said, "Come over here. Here's your antibodies against shingles right here on my computer screen." Let's monitor this and see where you are in a few months, and then we'll talk about getting the shingles well, vaccine. Uh, COVID is a virus, Bill. It's a virus. The same rules apply that they always apply. So I, I was doing some. We were doing some research this morning, kicking around. I think the number right now is only fifty-two percent of medical professionals have been vaccinated. Yeah, something like that. It's it's hovering right around half, and that means a half people don't think they ought to do it. Yeah, I mean, I can't tell you. Ever since we filed the lawsuit, I've had countless emails and a lot of them from doctors and nurses saying I had COVID I don't want to get the vaccine and I'm the one who was serving my community during the worst of it and now they're going to fire me because I don't want to get the vaccine no these were people who'd had COVID COVID. well a lot most doctors and nurses had it because you know by virtue of their profession so and now you know now a lot of the hospitals are saying everybody has to get the vaccines there are a lot especially nurses I think around the country who are just you know writing me and saying they're going to fire me. I, I mean, I was there. I was on the front lines working with COVID patients. I got COVID. Now I really don't want the vaccine. And now they're firing me. It's crazy. Did any of, did any of them weigh in on whether they thought the masks worked? Oh, I've heard from nurses and doctors about it. Um, I personally don't think masks work. <laughs> I've looked at it quite. <laughs> well, you've done a lot of research. Yeah. 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 It's, I mean, they're stupid. If everybody wore N95s properly all the time, maybe they would work. Although I don't want to say that because I'm afraid the government, 
that's what I mean. Yeah, that's, these, you know, these cloth masks and surgical masks with the gap here and people taking them on and off and you have to walk into the restaurant and you wear it for four feet and then you take it off when you sit down. I mean, it's unbelievably stupid. And this has real consequences, Bill, <laughs> sure. right? If you just take the mask, for example, there was this article a few weeks ago, you probably saw the New York Times about why people weren't unvac were unvaccinated. And there were literally people who were in the hospital who said, I decided, my doctor said I'd get vaccinated, but I read all this stuff that said all I had to do was wear a mask every time I went out and I'd be protected from COVID, right? They were, they unfortunately believed the hype from the public health community uh, that made them think like that a mask would be like, you know, like protect them from, from any disease. And then they wonder why people don't get vaccinated when they tell them stuff like wear a mask and you'll be safe. It's, well, it's, well, you it's know, Jay Richards was on and he had had COVID as well. Mm -hmm. And I guess he went to the emergency room just because he had some other things that he thought might interrelate and wanted to be very careful. And so he's in the emergency room and he's noticing some people have masks and some people who are closer to the patients don't and whatever. And he held up his little blue mask and he said, well, why aren't you wearing these? And they said, well, they don't work. <laughs> right. Right. So yeah. we've got all, you, you, I'm interested in getting a little closure and where things stand with the lawsuit. Then I want to range a little more broadly about what the issues are. We have lawyers for the university saying that there's no such thing as natural yeah. immunity. We have all these people make these scientific statements, and yet they don't really know anything. And, no. and yet on the other side, we've got people who know a lot, and they take exactly the opposite point of view. How does this, how does something like this, can a lawsuit, can you litigate your way to what the truth is, or is this just a, uh, are these other issues? Well, we'll find out. I mean, <laughs> this isn't going to be my last one. On <laughs> okay. Uh, it's hard to know, though. Well, you know, my view on this bill, the reason I called NCLA. Well, you've been in front of the Supreme Court, haven't you? Haven't you argued there? I have not. No, I have not. I I'm, just a, okay. I'm just a professor. Uh, uh, but right. um, but the reason I reached out to, to NCLA, Bill, is uh, that that this is as good a chance in front of a neutral judge um, is as good a chance as we're ever going to get somebody who will actually judge the merits of this, somebody who, who, in theory at least, takes the Constitution seriously, because it's pretty clear that the universities, the corporations, the public health community, these people don't take the Constitution seriously uh, uh, anymore. We, that, that the idea that we, I have mid-level bureaucrats at George Mason University with no medical training telling me I need to get vaccinated when my immunologist, who has an MD and a PhD in immunology, immunologist is, uh, uh, whom Dr. Norch has him, okay. who taught at Harvard and Penn Medical School, right? they're telling him, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Me, you know, the mid-level you know, deputy vice president for human resources at George Mason, will decide what the appropriate medical treatment is for every person, the hundreds of thousands of people who work here at George Mason uh, and around the world. How bizarre is that? I mean, how... I mean, what, what's going on that, uh, that we have HR bureaucrats at universities making medical decisions for hundreds of thousands of students, faculty, and staff around the country? It's crazy. Have you had other people wanting to join in on the case to mm -hmm. uh, contribute yeah. to both legal and medical? What's, how, yeah. what, kind, what kind of bandwagon are we creating? Um, well, we're getting a ton of emails. Um, we're sort of uh, trying to focus on the natural immunity issue. So... And I think that different issues uh, are invoked when it's students and professors who've gotten a lot of students to um, 
there, the cases so far with students haven't been great decisions. There was an Indiana University one that came out um, badly, in my opinion. They didn't really litigate the natural immunity issue. But I think um, students have a much lesser property interest in you know, attending the university than, for instance, a tenured professor does in his career there. So I think the arguments are not quite as strong, although I am personally opposed to all vaccine mandates. But Bill, if I could just amplify on that before we move on, because even if the legal arguments are less compelling for students, the moral, moral arguments, arguments yeah. especially for, for young people with natural immunity, are so compelling that yeah. it's that the, the, the callousness and the, the wickedness by which yeah. they're treating these kids. Think about this calculus, Bill, which is we're talking about whether it's a Marine or we're talking about a college student. Um, we're talking about somebody who's 18, 19, 20 years old, who already has a virtually zero uh, risk from COVID. Now, add in on top of that, this student, this young person has natural immunity. That person is as close to bulletproof, protected from any harm as anybody is going to, to have. And from that, spreading it. And from spreading it. Now, here's the other half of it, Bill, which is we also raised in the lawsuit, not only do those of us with natural immunity, not only do we have at least as much protection and probably more than the vaccines, certainly against mediocre vaccines like Johnson & Johnson. But the evidence is also very clear. There's now seven studies I'm aware of that show that there are heightened, there are elevated risk of side effects um, from receiving the vaccine after you have natural immunity. And what you see is that scale. So the odds age, are it's going to make it worse. It's going to, yeah, that I will have, including hospitalization, yeah. right? All these different sorts of things. That risk actually increases... With, uh, as you get younger, right? And the reason is quite simple again, Bill, and it's simply again, biology, immunology 101, which is the reason why young people are protected from COVID is because they have very strong immune systems, very active immune systems that spring into being very quickly. But that is also the reason why, whether you look at vaccine side effects in general, or you look at the particular situation with those who have recovered, they have even higher even more elevated risk than I do, but precisely because their their immune systems are so highly functioning that they're at high risk of hyperinflammation. So mm. we're taking these poor kids who have essentially zero risk and taking them not only with an elevated, but a super elevated risk of side effects. And we're forcing them to go through this process in order to go to school. It's, it's really diabolical. And, um, and I can't believe that any university administrator or person who says that they care about the kids on their campus could be so callous uh, to, to believe that is a good policy. You're watching The Bill Walton Show. I'm here with Professor Todd Zwicky and Janine Yunus, uh, his attorney in a case against George Mason University. And we're talking about how the, uh, the good intentions, if that's what they are, from our <laughs> bureaucrats are hurting many, many more people than they're helping. So before I still want to get a I still want to win this lawsuit. <laughs> what are the what are the can we do quick points on what the legal arguments are? I mean, you sure. made the moral argument. What are the legal? What's what 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 is what it is that should be our constitutional rights which are being violated? So we're arguing that uh, under the Ninth and Fourteenth Amendments to the United States Constitution, one has the right to bodily autonomy and to decline medical uh, treatment. That's um, established in some case law. Um, now you know the government. The current state of case of jurisprudence says that uh, those rights can be overridden when there's a compelling enough government interest. I think one can argue about whether that's actually the right standard, but that's a topic for another day. Um, and so we're arguing that when, when one has natural immunity, 
you, you present no risk to yourself, you present no risk to others virtually. And so you simply can't show any compelling state interest. It's also important to um, note that GMU is a public university, so it's subject to constitutional strictures. Um, one couldn't make these same, consti uh, same constitutional arguments against a private university. Um, so we're arguing that where no, you know, someone has natural immunity, there's simply no state interest at all, let alone a compelling one. Um, and then another important argument uh, is that the, there's something called the emergency use authorization statute, and all of the COVID vaccines in the United States are currently authorized for use only under that. And that requires um, that's, the free- That's, that's E-M-U? E-U-A. E-U-A, Emergency okay. use authorization, sorry, it's yeah. a federal statute. Um, and that specifically says that recipients of any medical product authorized for use under it should be, must give free and informed consent and be told of the right to refuse or decline the, the treatment. Um, and that, you know, that's quite clear that someone shouldn't be coerced into taking a treatment authorized only for use under that. Let's, let's have, yeah. continue to, as there, well, let me just, let me do, let's do the EUA. I, yeah. I think people lose sight of the fact that these are highly experimental drugs. I mean, normally you've got, what you mentioned in the suit, like there's six stages of yeah. things you've got to go through to get FDA approval. Yeah. And one of the big one is clinical trials on actual human beings. Yeah. And usually that takes years. And so now we're in this situation, it's been less than a year since we rolled these out. We still don't know what the effects are. We're finding that the efficacy percentages seem to keep going down, the estimates. And we're not sure at all what the side effects are long term. I mean, people look at you like you're crazy when you say that, but it's just common sense. You can't know the long-term effects of something that <laughs> so you've had a long term. term. And right. we've had right. other medications, you know, where, or vaccines where over the long term, <clears throat> Um, result, you know, negative effects manifested over time. So I think it's reasonable for people, even if they haven't had COVID, especially if they're young, to say, you know what, I don't, I'd rather take my, I'd rather risk getting COVID. Um, and, and that's what's particularly bizarre about this bill is that the vaccine that they were saying I needed to have is narrowly targeted on this one little spike protein, right? Uh, um, that, whereas natural immunity targets all 28 of the uh, proteins um, in the in the whole uh, the whole uh, protein, so that's why natural immunity is so much more robust to um, to variants than um, than the, the vaccines, and that's what we're seeing right now. Right. So you get more immunity infection. against uh, you, Delta than the people who've been exactly. Vaccinated. There is still no evidence of that Delta is any problem for those of us with natural immunity, whereas. Delta basically was brought into being by the vaccines because it basically has evolved to evade the other uh, vaccines. And this is what's bizarre about this bill is that they are saying that I that that I would be required to take a vaccine for a now literally now extinct variant that was multiple variants ago. Right. It's a variant on top of a variant on top of a variant. And they're saying that somehow that's going to be better uh, for protection than uh, than natural immunity. That's not to say it doesn't give any protection. Clearly, it seems to provide protection against they, serious disease, yeah. but not against infection. So do you win the case? <laughs> well, in Do this, we have a good judge? <laughs> um, we had a good judge. I think at this point, we're not sure where it's going to, it's probably not going to go that much further. You don't have to say anything here <laughs> that, that will we'll get back to her. Very <laughs> Well, might be on hold considering uh, um, the changes the in the GMU yeah. policy and that sort of thing. Okay. But listeners may be interested in one last footnote on the legal issue, Bill, which is it may be interesting that the lawyers at George Mason um, think there's no natural immunity. But you know who does? Some federal judges. 
And this is a very intriguing area that people haven't focused on, which is this issue has actually arisen in some cases involving prisoners who sought early release from prison because of a COVID outbreak in the prison. And the judges have denied their motions on the basis that they had acquired and recovered, <laughs> that they had been infected and recovered from COVID. And so therefore that they were they at a low risk. Prison. Okay. They can't get out of prison because they were a low risk of reinfection uh, from COVID. And so I'm hoping that I can be at least treated as well as a federal prisoner. <laughs> that's, uh, that's, that's my goal, uh, uh, Bill. So uh, I, I keep coming back. To, uh, how much personal risk are you taking with this suit? Um, I, I don't know, Bill, uh, but, um, but I know what personal risk I would take if I didn't bring the suit, which is I wouldn't be able to, uh, look my, 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 my daughter, uh, and my, uh, my wife and my, uh, my sons in the face, because, um, this is a really unjust and wicked policy. And it really feels like one of these things that says, if, you know, if not me, uh, who, if well, my not my first now, reaction when, when I saw so, it was just Todd's Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it's well, very brave. Not that many people want to sue their uh Well, employer. well, thank you. Uh, but uh, but but the 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 outpouring of support I've gotten from people is so gratifying. These people from all around the country said, "Thank you. I feel like somebody understands me. I feel like somebody's speaking for me. I've been trying to understand this and you're explaining it to the uh, to the world. Yeah, I'd highly recommend everybody watching and listening uh, go online, grab the lawsuit, read it. I mean, it's a great prim primer on on uh, the issues and also what the vaccines are about and what the legal issues and are about. And for the first time, I've been using Twitter, uh, Bill, and I've been trying to educate the public on all these studies of natural immunity and the side will, effects will, will, from these will vaccines. Will Twitter let you do that? So far, so far, they're uh, they're letting me uh, they're letting me do it. So you know, there's a very good chance that YouTube might ban us because hi guys. Yeah. Um, because right. we violate community standards. I mean, there, it, there, there are certain topics, and this is one of them, yeah. which seem to have been banned from the public square. I, yeah. I had a couple uh, tweets deemed misleading, and they couldn't be liked or retweeted. <laughs> yeah. One said something so, like, I'm probably healthier than most vaccinated people, and they're like, this is misleading. Everyone <laughs> 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 Oh, my. So how, if, if you win, or when you win, how broadly will this be defined? Does this affect what other employers can do with employees, or is this a state university and and uh, you know people with immunity? Is it can it be? Def will this? Let's say you're working for IBM and IBM says you got to all be vaccinated to come to work. Will this affect? Well, that? it would be extremely unlikely if this case were to proceed that any decision would affect private employers. I'm going to guess that okay. it raises so this is going to be narrow yeah. in the sense unless. Unless that they, they, we won on the EUA issue, although that may go away because it looks like the Pfizer is probably going to be approved soon, although maybe not. Um, we'll see. Yeah, the, the, the governing law on this that the courts keep going back to is a 1905 case called Jacobson versus Massachusetts, which involved, um, believe it or not, somebody uh, a mandatory vaccine, uh, smallpox vaccine rule in Cambridge, Massachusetts, for which you didn't get vaccinated, you had to pay a $5 fine, uh, which is a lot different from getting fired uh, from your job yeah. if, you, if you don't follow through. And that has basically been the case that the courts have basically just allowed carte blanche for, uh, for, for governors and all, you know, universities, all these state actors just run roughshod over our rights. And um, as Janine noted earlier, there are other constitutional rights here too, including the right to bodily integrity, 
um, and, and the like. Uh, and those are two different sort of, you know, conflicting lines of cases, which is um, it's time, to, I think, to revisit this 1905 case to the world of modern medicine and what we know. Um, and courts so far have been reluctant to uh, to explore that. It's also worth noting that there are some big differences, which is the court and, and Jacobson even said, you know, this is a disease that threatens to exterminate humankind or something, yeah. something along those lines. So, you know, this this could be warranted or this is warranted, which is very different from the coronavirus. And then... Um, but, but something and, with a 99.95 survival rate wouldn't wouldn't no, qualify. and smallpox, you know, it's it sure, threatens I mean, all it, age groups. It, it also disfigures a large number of survivors. So it's, you had, know, it's a much more... They had 1905 a, medicine at the exactly. time. Right? I mean, another <laughs> thing was, well, you know, when Jacobson was decided you couldn't do antibody tests, so you could, there was no natural immunity uh, argument. And then a final point about it is that it, um, it was one of the bases for a case called Buck v. Bell, where the court said you could forcibly sterilize uh, uh, mentally ill women. Um, and they said, well, based on Jacobson. So I think people should really be thinking about whether this is sort of the way we want to go with the state of the law. And that's a great point, Bill. A lot of uh, your, your viewers will be familiar with that disgusting ap aphorism from Justice Holmes. Uh, Three generations of imbeciles are enough. People have probably heard that before. Upholding a forced sterilization law in Oklahoma. He writes that line in the opinion. Three generations of imbeciles are enough. If the state can vaccinate you, the state can keep uh, unfit people from having children. Citation, Jacobson versus Massachusetts. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're watching the Bill Walton Show with Todd Zawicki and uh, Janine Yunez, uh, and we're, we're, uh, <laughs> we're talking about three generations of imbeciles. <laughs> why, why do I think they're all working as, as beer cats? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, I, let's, let's get into the speculative mode here, because how do we, I mean, there's all these people with power, and they just don't seem to be anything other than dug in on, well, this is what I believe, and, and you can show them every proof, every great Barrington declaration, get all the scientists, and yet they're dug in. And it seems to be this mania yeah. to get everybody vaccinated. If you don't do that, we're going to have vaccine passports, we're going to have all... I mean, this is this is the bigger civil liberties issue that I'm, you know, I want you to win your case, but we've got this, yeah. we've got this pall over our our freedoms now. Well, I think part of what's happened is that the country is so divided that there's this, you know, good versus evil, and it sort of split very quickly, especially when Donald Trump, uh, you know, was equivocal about the seriousness of the virus, and so the progressive left said, well, this must be very serious, and you know, he didn't really want to lock down. Well, we have to lock down. I'm not sure about masks. Well, masks must be great, and so and then. You know, now that the left has sort of made um, people who don't want to socially distance or wear masks or get the vaccine, they're evil. They're evil. And so it's it's taken on an almost religious uh, mentality, in my opinion. And that's the thing, Bill. You know, it's funny the way I mean, you mentioned the bureaucrats. Right. One thing that I know about this lawsuit is that um, um, that those people, those board of rectors don't like having their names listed in the name of a lawsuit. And the reason is. That whether it's them or the bureaucrats Will it help, who help run your the lawsuit if I name names right now. <laughs> I can. But but it's just a, they want to create this amorphous blob, right? They just want to be yeah. able to pump out this 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 stuff and impose it on people, but they don't want to be held accountable. You know, yeah. these obscure bureaucrats, and they refer to the CDC and this weird study, and they well interpret it this way, right? Nobody wants to accept responsibility for uh, for what they're doing, and they hide behind this veil 
of uh, bureaucratic process and uh, all this sort of stuff. And so it allows them, I think, the, the, their unwillingness to accept responsibility for what they're doing to people, um, to wash their hands of it, and for, for people to just pretend like they're doing their best. They're not doing their best. No. This is, there is literally no remaining argument that we are correct on the facts here. Um, and the only way we could get them to listen, and they still won't listen, you know, was when, when they wouldn't listen when we threatened to sue them, so we sued them. <laughs> <laughs> and it's worth noting also, I think they only granted the medical exemption be on other grounds, uh, ostensibly because they wanted to get rid of the suit. Um, I think this was their way of making it go away. But <laughs> So the suit may go away, but the larger issue remains. Yes, and it remains for a lot of other people. As well. So what's going to happen on the campus this fall? Is it is all the mandates going to be in effect? And this fall starts in a couple of weeks, doesn't it? Yeah, what I think what we see in the what the problem, Bill, is is that uh, as we were talking earlier, the the virus is, has evolved to yeah. be able to escape uh, the vaccines pretty well. Second, what we're finding is the vaccine protection pretty much wanes almost completely after about five months. Uh, for most of these data out of Israel, uh, for example, is showing uh, that. Um, I think what we're going to happen when Israel's got some numbers, it's 10 to 20 percent effective at this point. Right. Uh, for in early transmission and infection. Right? Right. I mean, it does in seem to be effective at reducing right. severe symptoms, I think. But and the only okay. the only the, yeah. rationale for a mandate would be to protect the community from transmission and infection. Yeah. If it's just good for me, that's like them passing a rule that requires me to eat, you know, fruits and vegetables <laughs> and exercise. Right. That this I'm is responsible like George for my Bush own and broccoli. We that, had that's to... right, George. Right, and so it only has an impact if it actually prevents infection and in, in transmission. And the vaccines are being shown now to be relatively ineffective at that. Um, they apparently they never even claimed that they would do that, and the and the prevention of that wanes very quickly. So I think what we're going to see on university campuses is what we're going to see all over the country in the coming weeks, which is more and more breakthrough infections. Um, uh, um, vaccinated people infecting each other. Um, and um, one of the problems we have now is we've got a lot of uh, vaccinated people who are having asymptomatic or lightly symptomatic breakthrough infections, but the viral load that they produce is very comparable to somebody who's never been vaccinated. So you've got a lot of people who are asymptomatic vaccine um, super spreaders, um, and they're going to show up on campus and I hope that we get to get make it through the year pretty well, but it wouldn't surprise me if in two or three weeks everybody shuts down and sends their students home again. And also because contact tracing doesn't work, they're just going to blame it on the unvaccinated because <laughs> you don't know who's. All right. You know. Well, let's let's explain. I, I still am trying to get my head into the horribles here. You've had COVID. And I don't recommend it. So. <laughs> but, <laughs> and but and I it... say that, Bill, because I am so sick of hearing people say to me that I don't take COVID seriously. The idea that you would tell somebody who's had COVID, suffered with COVID, that I don't understand what it's like to have COVID because you sat in front of your computer and taught your classes virtually for a year waiting for a vaccine. Yeah. Um, sorry, that gets me a little <laughs> no, agitated. This is good. I mean, <laughs> you, got, you got really sick, too. It wasn't a mild. Yeah, I got pretty sick, yeah. And I had no idea what it was. Uh, How long did it last? It lasted about a week. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and fortunately, I, I, fully, uh, I fully recovered. But, you said um, you experienced some fogginess. Yeah, at the time I experienced some fogginess. What I had was a um, was a low temperature. I had terrible night sweats. At the time, those were not approved COVID symptoms, so I couldn't get tested. <laughs> um, and it wasn't until later that they added because tests were very scarce. They didn't add that till later. 
But once they had it, I was like, oh, I obviously had COVID, and that's when I got my antibody test that confirmed it. So, But are we faced with a future where we're going to be chasing virus after virus after virus and our civil liberties are going to be at stake with every single one? I, you know, I had Tom Fenton on his Institute for his Judicial Watch, and he made a joke. He said, Bill, don't, don't say that getting the virus is like getting the flu because next time we get a flu, they're going to shut us down. It makes and you wonder if... If a, flu, if a new disease emerged today that killed thirty to 50,000 people every year, which is what the flu does, how would this country respond? Well, that's my to question. That? Are we now, you know, we've talked about, we haven't talked about, but there's a sense about the society is being less and less and less willing to take any kind of risk whatsoever. And they're just natural risks we, we live with. And yet you identify one thing like this, you shut everything down, you get government power over every... Uh, aspect of our life, this seems to be like a, a prologue for a, a sort of dystopian lockdown yeah, future. I think so. And we are taking risks. I mean, we're taking enormous risks with what we're doing to children. I mean, children have never been deprived of, you know, the contact with other kids and forced to wear masks and socially distanced. And well, the masks do terrible things for so, social yeah. skills. I mean, if you're, you know, even as, well, there's some people who have, I'm glad they've got masks on, but... Uh, <laughs> But generally speaking, in terms of a, of a functioning, healthy yeah. society, reading social cues, you don't want to walk around no. wearing masks. But there's a there's another casualty here that relates to the long term future you're talking about, Bill, which is uh, which which is truth, uh, and which is trust in oh that we can trust the the public health and the medical establishment. Just last week, the CDC. And I don't think it was a coincidence. My article went in the Wall Street Journal on Saturday. And on Monday, the CDC released a totally bogus study um, with a totally dishonest and misleading headline um, that seemed to basically be uh, intended to, uh, to deny and try uh, natural immunity and force people to, uh, uh, to do it. And whether it's that, whether it's willingness to debate masks uh, and their efficacy or lockdowns or anything else, it's just been a, um, it's just been, now I've, I've learned through this that there are people who have written incredibly important, compelling studies on natural immunity who cannot get them published in a, um, in a um, peer-reviewed medical journal and not because they're not uh, high enough quality, but because the medical journal editors have decided that that's just not a topic that they uh, are willing to uh, provide a, a forum for. For, for first-rate academic research on uh, on this topic. I mean, the Danish uh, mask study couldn't get anyone to publish it for a while because it showed it was the first randomized... Who's mask study? The, there was a Danish mask study about okay. six months ago, and it was the first randomized controlled uh, study. I'd love to see that. Yeah, and it basically showed no difference in between a control group well, that wore masks well, and the one that did We're running out of time. I've got about yeah. 53,000 things I want to keep <laughs> talking about. we got to... But... The mask thing is interesting, as is social distancing, as are all these other protective measures we took uh, 18 months ago. We didn't know anything. Everything it could have yeah. been, and it could have been much worse. It could have been uh, quite different than the way it turned out. And yet we've got these preventative measures that we're still acting like we don't know anything. And yet we've got states. We've got what South Dakota. We've got Florida. We've got Sweden, we've got places that have had no real restrictions, and yet their numbers are as good at or better yeah. than the states that right. locked everything down. So we know a lot about what works and what doesn't work, and yet we're still conducting policy without the benefit of taking those statistics into uh, 
And, and we also now, Bill, have a lot of evidence that there are effective therapeutic treatments. Um, I'm sure your listeners are familiar with the debate over hydroxychloroquine and um, ivermectin um, and other sorts of uh, sorts I, I, of things. I hope they, let's turn off the camera. Yeah. I've, I've got some ivermectin in my, in my medicine <laughs> chest. Evidently, it, can I it, have it, some? It, <laughs> yeah, can I have some? That's all right. That's all right. It, He's going to be it, pushing. It, 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 yeah, right. I know we got it. It it works. It's right. It works. It, and it's everybody I mean, knows. In it India, works. it worked. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know why they first, and South America, right? Yeah. Peru, I think. In yeah. India, it worked. Yeah, it works. It works. Every. You know why? You know why? Why uh, HCQ was the one that made the first big splash was because we had huge stockpiles of that because it worked against SARS-CoV-1. Did you know that? HCQ, that's a hydrochloric. Yeah, hydrochloric. It, it worked against SARS-CoV-1. So we had these massive stockpiles. And so if it worked against SARS-CoV-1, obviously it's going to work against <laughs> SARS-CoV-2, right? Um, and so, you know, but anyway, um, um, the, uh, um, but, but, but now we have got these, uh, these therapeutics that have come online um, that uh, can treat people well um, and reduce, um, you know, the, the, the harm we have from this. And it's just a matter now of, learning how to live with this, learning that it's going to be endemic. It is treatable um, with standard ways that we treat viruses. Um, as I mentioned, I had shingles this spring. I was treated with an antiviral and an anti-inflammatory. And that's sort of the baseline of how people are treating this now. It's a virus that does what viruses do. Yeah, we're about to wrap up. Anything, yeah. Any last thought in terms of... Uh... Well, in terms of what you were just saying, I would say I think a lot of people don't want to admit they're wrong, um, like Anthony Fauci, and that's why we're stuck in this endless cycle of <laughs> fruitless endeavors. Yeah, yeah. So this story is going to continue, so we'll come back and talk about it, uh, find out what happened with the lawsuit and uh, and all the work you're doing in the, to protect our civil liberties from the administrative state. Maybe we can do something there. Because you've done a lot with the administrative state. And that financial. I have, Bill, yes. Okay. So more to come. Uh, Todd Zwicky, uh, Janine Yunus, thank you for joining us. You've been watching The Bill Walton Show. and We've been talking about uh, all things uh, lockdown-related and virus-related. And I think we're coming to some conclusions and hope you enjoyed them. And we'll see you next time. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Want more? Click the subscribe button or head over to thebillwaltonshow.com to choose from over 100 episodes. You can also learn more about our guest on our Interesting People page. And send us your comments. We read everyone and your thoughts help us guide the show. If it's easier for you to listen, check out our podcast page and subscribe there. In return, we'll keep you informed about what's true, what's right, and what's next. Thanks for joining.